All right, so we are today doing week two of the speak portion of the Love, Know, Speak, Do uh, outline for how to help people change, helping people change. And last week we talked about uh, some kind of higher level overview principles of what we're trying to accomplish uh, when we communicate um, the truth and when we speak the truth and love to others. And we just want to continue down that road. Uh, of course, there's no way that we can get overly specific about here's what to say in this situation or here's what to say in that situation because uh, it varies. I would encourage you, um, you know, I, I'm, I don't know why, but we haven't really been promoting the Counseling Fundamentals class, but you've been seeing that in the Life at Hope, and uh, that starts this Friday night, and it's not too late to sign up. So I know some of you uh, are signed up already, or at least one of you in this room that I know of. <laughs> uh, but if you're interested, uh, you can sign up for that. That's, uh, like I said, it starts Friday night. It's uh, 6 or 9 on Friday, 9 to 5 on Saturday, and then similar weekends uh, in March, April, and May, uh, four weekends total. Uh, you can get that information in Life at Hope. Uh, but that really goes into more depth, uh, especially as it relates to a lot of the most common kinds of issues that we uh, face in life, and that uh, as uh, those who are uh, ministering to others will encounter, so that we can think through how does Scripture help us think about things like depression, anxiety, anger, sexual sin, um, just personal suffering, physical suffering. How can we think through those things biblically, and then how can we uh, bring the truth to bear in someone's life? So just consider that uh, if you're interested in, in getting more uh, equipped. But for today, uh, I want to just, again, do a couple higher-level overview things, and then we'll, we'll kind of jump back to where we were ending last time pretty quickly to think about uh, how the gospel relates to conversations that, that we often have. When you think about speaking and responding to someone who has conveyed to you some struggle that they're having, they're going through some uh, trial in their life, no fault of their own, just something that's come upon them, they're suffering, they're struggling with that. Or maybe they confess to you some sin that they're struggling with, uh, some sin of, of thinking that they know they're, they're not thinking rightly, maybe they're battling sins in the mind. Uh, sins of bitterness or lust or whatever it might be, uh, or uh, sins of action, that they're, they have a pattern of behavior in their life that they're confessing that, 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 they, that they want help with. And, and usually in, in the life of the church, um, when people convey those things to you, they're often putting it in the frame of, will you pray for me, right? Uh, because that's uh, certainly a good thing to ask, and we don't have an expectation that our friends, our family, will be able to actually help us. Uh, we, don't, we don't think in those terms. We think, well, oh, they can pray for me, and that's how they can help. Well, we can help one another. Uh, and so hopefully, as part of this class, as, as you know, we're thinking about how can we actually cultivate uh, a culture where we recognize, no, we, we actually can help one another. We can do more. Prayer is, is the first thing we can do, but, but we can do more than that. We can have conversations together to, to grow in Christ together. But you get to that place where now it's, it's your turn to speak. You know, we, we spent time thinking about uh, data gathering, collecting, getting to know the individual, getting into their world to understand their frame of mind. Now it's time for you to speak. 
how, how can you decide what what you are to say, uh, what what you are to how you are to approach the situation? Well, uh, really important to have it's really important to have the the framework of the biblical process of change in your mind. Uh, when you think about how you want to speak to move someone from where they are to a place of growth and maturity, you have to think about what does the scripture say needs to happen in their life for them to grow and change. What are the what are the three aspects of change that scripture teaches us? Ephesians four. Put off. Put, off. Put on. And renew your mind. <laughs> Good job, Orion and everybody else. Put off, put on, and re- re- renew your mind. This is from Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. We see the similar principles taught in Colossians 3 and other places. Put off is simply this idea of stop. <laughs> stop uh, sinning. Stop doing uh, what you know is displeasing to the Lord. Uh, take that pattern, that habit, and, and bring it to an end. Uh, put on is the opposite. Uh, start something, uh, cultivate new habits of living, new ways of, of responding to your situation. Uh, and then there's that key part, which is to renew your mind. Uh, learn to think the way that God would have you to think. Uh, cultivate God's mind on the matter that you're wrestling with. Uh, we used the language last week of um, uh, using the mirror, using the Word of God as a mirror to see yourself through the mirror of God's Word. So renewing the mind, Romans 12, puts in the frame of be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you you think differently. I was meeting with uh, somebody this week, and we were reflecting together about how uh, so often, you know, if if you have kids or if you've been a kid, you you understand this dynamic. Um, You know, your parents tell you to do something, and everything in you despises what they want you to do you know like a chore wash the dishes or you know clean your room or something like that and because you just ah you don't want to do it uh all of a sudden you lose all your strength and energy and ability i can't do that i don't want to do that right everything in us convinces us that we can't do that that what they're asking is is too much it requires too much strength too much power too much energy that we just don't have and i don't know about you if you're a parent but uh, i've said to my kids i know rachel has said to our kids uh, many times you just need to change your attitude you just need to change your attitude yes you can do this (laughs) it's not that hard (laughs) Uh, you just need to think differently about it and maybe, again, you've experienced this, where you're going through a hard time and you're, you're just thinking about it in a way that just makes the, the whole situation so much worse. It, there's so much pressure that you're putting on yourself. But then all of a sudden, your, your thinking changes, and it's like, oh, the, the clouds have cleared, the sun has come out, and I, can, I, I have strength and energy, and I can make it. I, I can do this thing that, you know, whatever the situation is. Uh, we've all experienced that. Well, that's that's the the power, if you will, of renewing your mind according to the Word of God, so that you can put off and then put on. And so, uh, when we are in a position where we can speak the truth and love to someone, that's what we're trying to help them do. We're trying to help them to speak. Uh, sorry, we're trying to help them to renew their mind, so that then they can uh, put 
that into practice in, in the putting off and the putting on. So that means that you have to, again, know what, what is going on in their mind that isn't aligned with God's Word. So that goes back to the data gathering. And so as you're listening, as you're getting to know the situation, you want to be thinking about what, what are they believing, what are they thinking that is off? What are they believing about God that isn't true? What are they believing about themselves or their circumstances that aren't true? And then as, as you're learning and, and you're understanding, you can be thinking about how can I help them uh, cultivate a right way of thinking about all that. So, again, that framework put off, renew the mind put on, is, is key to thinking about how you can uh, say what, what you are to say. And just to look at that from another angle, as you're thinking about what to say, uh, you can think about the goal that you're trying to accomplish. Whatever it is you say, what, what are you trying to accomplish with what you say? If you're not sure what words to use, if you're not sure what ideas to convey, think about the goal. What, what am I trying to accomplish? What are we trying to accomplish? Okay. Okay, giving them hope. Good. That's, that's key. What else? I, I'm, I'm the very basic stuff here. Yeah, Ryan. Okay, pointing them to Christ and His sovereignty. Okay, and goal. What what are what are we trying to aim at? Renewing the mind. Yeah, renewing the mind. It's just change. 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 I mean, these are all true, but goal. Uh, glorify God. Try to help them glorify God. <laughs> and all of these things are how we approach, you know, helping someone glorify God. We're trying to help them grow in Christ, so we have to point them to Christ. That, we have, that happens as we renew their minds, you know, all of that. Uh, so we're aiming our conversations at helping them to glorify God by having a renewed mind, and that renewed mind will then help them to put off and put on. So um, one way of looking at it is the process of change. That's how I think about what I should be conveying to them. Another way to look at it is what, what is my goal? What am I trying to accomplish? I'm trying to help them glorify God and all that that involves. All right, now let's talk about some specific things here. I'm going to put this on the board. Uh, some steps, if you will. What, what, what are the steps someone has to go through in their own mind that, that perhaps you can help them walk through to bring about change? This isn't a you know, one-minute conversation, but over the course of time, what are we trying to help people do? The very first thing is we're trying to help people... Um, what is it? <laughs> it's all C's. I couldn't remember the C word. Uh, consideration. Uh, consider. We're trying to help them think about uh, the situation, right? We're trying to hold up the mirror of God's word so that they, they're thinking, they're actively thinking. Uh, again, in, in this same conversation that I had this week that I mentioned about the attitude, uh, this, was, uh, this was a couple that are mature believers. Uh, they know the word of God. And uh, I knew that I wasn't telling them anything new. <laughs> I knew that they already know everything that I needed to convey to them. So uh, my goal in, in that situation was I want to help them think what they already believe. I want them to think about things uh, that, they've, uh, that they've already learned. They just need to think about it in the context of their situation. When we renew the mind, so that's consider... Uh, then the next step is to confess. 
if there is uh, sin in our lives, uh, wrong thinking that has uh, taken over our, our minds, then uh, the first step toward beginning to change is confession, acknowledging. Uh, you, you probably know that the, the word for confess in the Greek, it's probably don't know the word itself. Anybody know the word? The Greek word? Well, what the actual Greek word is, though. <laughs> yeah, but Daniel's right. It's to say the same thing. It's homologeo, homo, homo, you know, the same. And logeo is to, to say or to speak. So homologeo is to, to say the same thing. And so confession is to say the same thing about your sin that God says about it, to acknowledge it, to affirm it, to look at it and say, yep, that's what it is. I acknowledge that this way of thinking is wrong or this behavior is sinful or, you know, whatever it might be. So in helping someone to, to think, to consider their situation, to, to look at the mirror of God's word and, and consider how it applies, the first step toward change is to confess. And so what these two really involve is the change of thinking. The mind has to change, right? Renewing the mind, transforming uh, through the renewal of the mind. Then the third step, after the mind is being renewed, you could put it this way, is commitment. And uh, this conveys the idea of uh, they need to kind of do that actual turnaround that, that we call repentance, you know, that change of mind, that not only do you acknowledge what's wrong, but now you affirm what's right. And there's a, a recognition of this is what God calls me to. And so I'm going to commit myself now to walking down this path. But it's still in the mind here is what we're talking about. So, so there's an acknowledgement of what's wrong, uh, a confession of what's wrong. And you could even say a confession, uh, an acknowledgement of what's right, of what God does call me to. And then a heart commitment to say that's the path that I want to go on. That's, that's where I want to go from now on. So that would be commitment, and that involves obviously knowing what God calls you to do and, and what his standard is. And then the final one is, is it this simple? It is this simple. It's change. And so these two are changed living. So you go from changed thinking as they consider and confess to changed living as they commit themselves to the truth and then change their behavior, change their lifestyle, change patterns, change their words, their responses. So if you're going to help somebody change by the grace of God, if he's going to use you as an agent of change, this is, if you will, the step-by-step -step process that someone has to go through. And it can happen pretty rapidly. Uh, it doesn't have to be, you know, one conversation is considered, another conversation is confessed, you know, and all the, down the line. Uh, these things can happen rapidly uh, in someone's mind as the Spirit works. But this is what you want to see happen because this is what is involved in growth in Christ. You know, sometimes we want to go right from confess to change living, and, you know, it, sometimes it can look like that's all that happens. But if, 
if there hasn't been a consideration, if there hasn't been a, a commitment, then what might be missing is a fuller, deeper understanding of their sin, of what's going on in the heart. Um, so somebody can change their life. They can stop bad behavior and start good behavior and not actually have a change of heart. Uh, and just be a kind of a pharisaical surface level. You know, they stop stealing, they start giving, but there's no heart behind it. That's why there has to be consideration, seeing things from God's perspective, commitment in the sense of acknowledging what God says is, is true, and walking down the path of, of Christ-likeness. So as we are ministering to, to others, we want to help them walk through those four steps, you know, and not that you have to call them, uh, you use those terms in that way, but that's what we're trying to help someone move through uh, in the process of change. Any particular questions about that? They'll confess that they did something to trigger that consequence, but they want to change in order to avoid the consequences. Maybe get worse. There's not truly a heart change. For a believer, a heart change needs to be there for us to have the right focus, to focus on Jesus and what he wants us to do, bringing him glory. Mm -hmm. But if their focus is on avoiding the consequence, like in the Old Testament where they do sacrifices, right? Right. Showing people, oh, yeah, we're good. Oh, let's not, let's not have him suffer anymore. There isn't a heart change. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, that's First um, Corinthians seven would call that worldly sorrow. Uh, you know, I I don't like the consequences of my sin, and so I'm going to do whatever I can to mitigate, minimize, remove consequences, just so I can feel better and you know, lessen the embarrassment or shame or whatever it might be in a person's case. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's why it's so important to again think through. Uh, the uh, biblical principles. I have a section here on, on getting to the heart of uh, understanding the heart that's behind one's words and one's actions so that uh, they can... All right, their motivations so that um, uh, they can be uh, I was dissuade from just a uh, behavioristic or uh, sinful motivation to change. Yeah, one, one of the things that I think is really important um, that we'll talk about more just, well, we can actually move right into it, is uh, dialogue. Uh, because if we're um, preaching a sermon, if you will, <laughs> in a conversation, if, if we were having a monologue and we're just telling someone, here's how you need to be thinking about this, uh, here's what you need to stop doing. Here's what you need, you need to start doing. Here are the concept, and we're just like monologuing the whole thing, and they're like, uh huh, uh huh, okay, okay, yeah, you're right, you're you're right, you know. And then you, you know, there's no dialogue. You're just telling them, and uh, and they're like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Okay, good, great conversation, you know. Well, you don't actually know <laughs> what uh, have you changed? There has their mind changed, I should say. Uh, you know, what? How are they processing that? Uh, and so, part of the the, the uh, part of the process that's so inv invaluable is dialogue to see well, what, how are you thinking about this? How how are you understanding what I'm saying? Uh, just reflect back to me how you're 
uh, how you're thinking, why are you wanting to make this kind of change? There's just a lot of dialogue that needs to happen so that you can discern uh, what is motivating them to change, if, if you know, if they are wanting to change. Not necessarily a counseling session, but when I'm talking to people who are challenged, right. they're, they're challenged with some struggle in life, I'll take them to a passage and I'll ask them, so Socratic method, I'll right. ask them, what do yeah. you think of saying this? Yeah, yeah. And if they yeah. don't, they have no idea, then I get to tell them. Yeah. And then we'll go into another verse. Yeah. Hey, you, you must be reading my notes here. <laughs> we'll talk about using scripture in a second. Yeah. Maybe this relates more to interpersonal type of stuff, but um, and maybe you can also suggest, like, let's say you have 60 minutes, how much each one of those steps <laughs> should take, which in my mind, 55 minutes should be of the considering and the interrogative and the consideration because a lot of times they may be confessing but they're not actually confessing to the actual root sin right because they've misinterpreted yeah. where they think they are yeah. and you need to help them get to where they really actually are and and i said the interpersonal part where like they're responding to a, a slight they think they received because they didn't actually understand what the truth was or someone else's motivation because they kind of projected onto someone like, hey, they were thinking, you don't know what they were thinking, you just know what actually came out of their mouth mm-hmm. or the action mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. So maybe you can comment on how much you think percentage-wise or time-wise between uh, consider, confess, commit, change. Yeah. The only way I can really answer that is you need to spend as much time to ensure that it happens. <laughs> that, that there's a, a, a thorough... Um, understanding uh, of you know their sin of, of the situation, looking at it from God's word, uh, that that their confession is um, a heartfelt, uh, biblical, uh, heart level confession. That the their understanding of what God calls them to do, their their commitment, their desire to change. You know, you just have to take the time, and it's not really a percentage thing. It's it's just making sure that they happen and not jumping too quickly to the next step. Like, we, we can move someone. Well, actually, Mike, let me... Look. In all of this, we shouldn't forget that we are just instruments. Right. And the Holy Spirit is doing the work. Right. We have no idea when the Holy Spirit... Yeah. How He would do us, when He would do us. We just bring the Word and pray that the Holy Spirit will bring about change. So mm-hmm. there's no real time limit, mm-hmm. <clears throat> percentage, mm-hmm. or anything like that. I guess, being that I do counseling, nobody changes on my timeline. Yeah. So, I, I had one situation years ago where a guy came, he was struggling with grief, loss of a, a parent, and I said in my mind, okay, here's kind of my agenda now, and I walk through for several weeks, I'm like, oh, it'll probably take several weeks of conversation, and the, the next week he came back, he's like, oh, actually, I'm good now. <laughs> what? I'm like, what? <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah, you know, what you said, and then, I, you know, I was reading the scripture, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm good. I'm like, are you, oh, okay. <laughs> so, so that's pretty rare, though. <laughs> But yeah, the Lord, the Lord works on His own timeline. Yeah. Sometimes you will find that you think this is what's happening with this 
you build that relationship, and this happened to me, and the guy came in and he said, since I can trust you, here's something else. Mm -hmm. Right. So now you got something else. Right. You know, it's important how we build relationships with, with, with people, they, you know, out of trust. You know, and then some of the steps, like confession, uh, it's, it's not that it's wrong to confess quickly. Obviously, we want to confess as quickly as we can, as soon as we're convicted by the Spirit. But uh, we shouldn't think of confession as a once-and-done uh, act. Because we might confess what we're convicted of in that moment. Uh, yes, what I did there was wrong. You know, please forgive me. Um, but then, over time, come to realize, at a deeper level, uh, other facets of that sin, the heart motivations, uh, wrong thinking that we had, that, that we need to confess, uh, not again, because we didn't confess it before, but we need to confess that too. And so, um, my tendency is to not encourage people, like if, if there's some you know, adultery, let's say, is to, is to not encourage them to confess right away, because I, I want to make sure, I want to take the time that's needed to help them think through all that's led to that, and, uh, and that their heart um, is um, uh, convicted, truly, and, and not just trying to get away from consequences, which sometimes happens. Now, sometimes the Lord has worked in a person's heart, and they have all of that, they understand what led to that, and, and praise the Lord when when that happens, but, um, you know, usually when someone comes into counseling for the first time, you know, in a formal situation, formal counseling situation, uh, it takes time to kind of unpack things like that. Um, but you just want, want to take the time that seems to be needed to, to uh, aim at changed thinking. And as Mike said, understanding that sometimes more things will come out over time that need to be worked through. So let, let's talk about some practical things. Um, we, are, we already mentioned uh, dialogue, how that's important. You know, if you think of uh, the, the aspect of speaking the truth in love, using the scripture, <laughs> using the scripture to, no worries, uh, to minister to people, don't think in terms of, oh, I need to put together a Bible study uh, to bring to this person and, you know, let me preach you a sermon. You know, we wouldn't call it a sermon, but let me, let me tell you what the Bible says. And then we go on a 30, 40 minute Bible lesson of here's, you know, what the Bible says about your situation. Don't, don't think like that because that's, that's not what it should look like. It, it really should be an active dialogue. And with any dialogue, there's moments where one person speaks for a while and then the other person speaks for a while. Sometimes there's a lot of quick back and forth, short interaction. So it's, it's varied, and that's, that's the way these kind of conversations should go. It, it's just a normal dialogue, a, a communicating of ideas uh, and, and, and working through things together. And so when you're thinking about using the Scripture, uh, Brian mentioned you know, that um, having a, a dialogue around the Scripture, uh, I, I would encourage, you know, when possible, it's not always necessary, there's no rules about this, but I would encourage that uh, better than just quoting a verse and moving on, they say, you know what, let's, let's take our, our Bible out 
or our Bible app out. <laughs> and uh, let, let's look at this verse. Let's look at it with our eyes so we can focus on it and, and talk about it. Uh, and maybe you have them read the verse. Uh, there's, there's a variety of ways that you can uh, have a conversation around it. You can, you can say, okay, we just read this verse. Now, what, what, what do you think that means? What, what is this t- telling us? What's the meaning of this verse? And you know, the first thing we always want to get at is what's the meaning of it? We don't want to jump too quickly to application, but what is this verse saying? So, you know, paraphrase it, put in your own words. What is this verse saying? Uh, depending on what the, what the verse is and what you're wanting to draw out of it, you can say, let, let, let me just point out a couple of key things that we see in this passage. Uh, let's just highlight and, and underline a couple of the phrases here. And um, I think I did that a few weeks, some time ago, when I walked through 1 Corinthians 10.13. And just, uh, let's look at this phrase, and what does that mean? Let's look at this phrase, and what does that mean? And again, it doesn't have to be a, a monologue. It can be uh, a dialogue, because as you're going through it, you can say, you know, not, not put that in your own words. How, how would you explain what, what, you know, Paul or Jesus or whatever uh, means there? So paraphrasing, identifying key features... Uh, explaining, you know, sometimes you do need to explain what it means because they're they don't know what it means. They're they're not sure uh, what what the passage means, and so explaining can certainly uh, be a, a needed thing. But then, of course, you want to get to application. If you're going to use the scripture, you don't just use the scripture for the purpose of you know quoting quoting it. You want to have it be purposeful in application, and that's a dialogue. That's not a here's how this applies to your life. <laughs> that's a so now that we've talked through this, how do you see this applying to your life? Uh, how do you think uh, this verse helps you when you're in this situation? When you go to work tomorrow and you're going to see that coworker, uh, how can this verse help you uh, respond to your coworker? Or when you're when you're dealing with your kids this week and they're making you want to pull your hair out, how can this verse help you if it comes to your mind and, and change how you respond? So thinking through application. Uh, directly out of out of the scripture and and sometimes uh, as much as we would want someone to think of the application themselves sometimes we have to help them with that um, I was watching the the video f- you know from the curriculum for this lesson and uh, um, Tim Lane was the instructor for it and he conveyed an experience that I've had many times myself how you know he was counseling a couple and he was trying to help the husband know how he could respond to his wife in in a particular situation and the husband's like I've just I don't know I I don't know how to say this any differently that she would receive he's like well how about this and then he gave him a script if you will of how he could communicate to his wife and yes his wife so if if your husband were to to say it this way would that be helpful oh yes that would be very helpful you know that would would radically change uh, how I would respond and uh and, and so sometimes we have to actually put words in people's mouths to help them to think about a different way of communicating because they're just not used to it. And so we, uh, while we don't want to say, thus says the Lord, this is what you have to do, we can help think through what are ways of responding uh, you know, with words or actions uh, in, in terms of applying the scripture. Um, you know, one of the key passages that I've often used 
uh, in virtually every case is 1 Corinthians 10.31. You know, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So you can have a conversation around what would it look like when you're in this difficult situation, if you're going to face it this week, what would it look like to glorify God in that moment? And just have a conversation around that. Uh, there's no one right answer, uh, but that's, that's a conversation to have. And thinking through that in advance can be very helpful. You don't want to just say, hey, here's this verse, take it, it'll help you, you know, we'll see you later. Uh, because um, if you just wait till the moment of uh, tension, of difficulty, to all of a sudden try and come up with an application of the verse, you, you're probably going to fail. So thinking about it in advance is, is uh, very helpful. Any particular thoughts or comments about that? Don. Um, so this week, this all summed up in communication when you're creating dialogue. And um, I just wanted to recommend the Joyful Journey podcast, which mm. comes out of two women who go to the Morris Church. Um, one of them is a pastor's wife. They're both counselors. And they recently put out a podcast called Godly Communication. And it is spectacular. So if you like podcasts, Joyful Journey podcast, Godly Communication. And all of us listen to you. Yeah. Yeah. Here, here. I used to listen to it, but I have too many podcasts to listen to. <laughs> um, in the course of conversation, uh, you might consider, are there ways that I can illustrate truth or metaphors that I can use? If you think about how uh, God has communicated to us, how he's given us a, a record of a lot of these uh, change kind of conversations in Scripture, you have that. You have the prophet Nathan who went to David to confront him of, over his sin. Remember how he confronted David? He didn't say, David, you rascally, terrible king, you know, you've committed adultery. No, he told him a story. He made up a story that he knew David would respond to rightly, that, that would kind of inflame his moral uh, fibers. And then he used that reality to say, and that's what you've done in this situation. And so sometimes we, we can help someone uh, to think about a similar kind of situation. If they're blind to their own sin, they're just not seeing how their sin has uh, been at work in a situation, you can give them a, a story, make something up, that, that you know they would be able to see clearly and then say, that's, that's the same thing that we're talking about with you. Uh, and, and so that can be a very helpful um, way to approach it, using metaphor, using illustrations like that. You know, Jesus used parables a, a lot. You know, there's the parable of the unforgiving slave in Matthew 18. Uh, there's the parable of the... Um, uh, what are they called? The uh, tenants who uh, uh, wanted to take for themselves the land that they were given to steward. They kept killing and, and beating the servants that, that the master would send to collect some of the produce of the land. Uh, and he used that metaphor to um, indict the uh, Pharisees and the religious leaders. Uh, he used the prodigal son as a story to... Uh, indict the religious leaders. So parables, uh, metaphors are are used often in Scripture to convict uh, people of their sin. Pauline? Do 
just real quick, Pastor, I know you probably already have, but could you talk for just a quick moment on how it's possible that we can be so blind to our sin? Uh, how can we be so blind to our sin? Well, the, the nature of sin is that it's deceptive. That, that's the, the root reality, the inherent nature of, of sin. Uh, it, it is lies, it is irrationality, it is deception. And that's why it takes the convicting work of the Holy Spirit to help someone, help us, come to see our sin. Because we, uh, we engage in sin by believing in lies. And unless the truth comes to us to help us see that, which sometimes somebody can be speaking it right to us, and we're so deceived <laughs> that we're just like, I, I don't get it, I don't see it. Um, and, and that's why the Holy Spirit has to be the one to bring conviction. So that's, that's I think, the most basic answer. Uh, I, I think a, a corollary to that is, as believers, we have a tendency to think better of ourselves than what is actually true of ourselves. We're, we, we tend to um, downplay perhaps sinful motivations that we might have had. Uh, we, we, we may not be as attuned to uh, the desires of our heart that led to a sinful response in a given situation. Um, you know, uh, in the flesh, our tendency is just to push it off on somebody else. Yes, I responded sinfully, but that's because I was responding to their sin. And if they wouldn't have responded that way, I wouldn't respond this way. Uh, why are we doing that? Because we're not willing to examine our own heart and, and remember what Jesus says, that everything rises out of the heart. Um, so that, that's all in the same realm of deception. We, we're prideful. Uh, we think better of ourselves than we ought to think. Uh, we're, we're, we, uh, we're not willing to consider our, our own heart. Um, uh, and we're just blinded, blinded by the sin. We justify our sin uh, in so many different ways. Um, and so all of that just leads to the, the fact that the Holy Spirit has to open our eyes, otherwise we'll be lost. Yeah, yeah, that, um, that speaks to you know, David, where he could righteously judge another person for committing the same sin that he committed, and he couldn't see his own sin. Um, now, we don't know... What was going on in David's heart and mind in the moment and in the aftermath of his sin with Bathsheba? In the sense of, was there any pang of conviction? Did he know this was wrong to take advantage of this woman, married woman, and uh, murder her husband? You know, was there anything inside of him that was like, maybe we shouldn't do that? <laughs> was there any pang? We don't know. We don't know. But we do know it took a prophet. Uh, to convict him, and um, you know we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us in a different way than David did. David had the Holy Spirit upon him. That's why he prayed in Psalm 51, "Take not your Holy Spirit from me," because the Spirit was more of a temporary uh, dwelling on the Old Testament saints. Um, but even even with us who have the indwelling Holy Spirit, we can be so self-deceived, and, and that's why Jesus taught in Matthew 7. That you have to take the log out of your own eye first before you can see the speck in your brother's eye. Um, anyway, uh, Brian, you were. You said about painting a picture. Yeah, yeah, character. metaphors, illustrations. So yeah. I have an example. Okay. Not too long ago, I was talking to someone and who said that we all sin. 
just I keep on going back to the same sin, keep on doing it, right? So of course I'm thinking Romans six one and two. Mm-hmm. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How can we who died to sin? So I focused on die to sin. I asked him, where did we die to sin? And he couldn't think of it. I said, go over to Galatians 2.20. So we went over there and talked about being crucified with Christ. Uh-huh. I said, we actually died our old life with sin and all the, all the baggage died uh-huh. with Christ on the cross. I'm trying to paint him a picture. So when he's getting ready to possibly sin, there's other verses too, uh-huh. uh-huh. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and others. But when he's getting ready to sin, think about you dying on the cross. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You can't, a, a dead person cannot sin. That's right? Dead person cannot, dead, cannot sin. I said, you died on the cross with Jesus. Right? Leave, leave the phone on, they can listen. <laughs> um, That's interesting. Anyway, I was trying to paint a picture that he can remember when the time comes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's good. That's helpful. Yes, Matt. Just one more quick comment. I, when you brought us to Ephesians 4, uh, you may have talked about this when you went through that passage, but just the fact that, that be renewed. It's not It's not the similar command. It's another place where it's like mm-hmm. renew your mind. It's, it's be renewed. Yeah. And that's passive sense. Um, I, I think they're not like just thinking about the work of the Spirit on us. Right, right. Yeah, and um, you know, this goes to Mike. What, how Mike was saying that the Spirit has to work. He's he's the change agent. And uh, you know, we might get frustrated in a conversation with a person who's not seeing what we think they should be seeing, and that might tempt us toward anger, um, where even we sin now because we're we're confronting someone and they're not willing to listen, at least as by our perception. And so we we have to remember that the spirit has to open their eyes, um, and and. Uh, be pa- we need to be patient uh, with the Spirit's work in that way. Uh, in, in the course of conversation, uh, it, it's so much better if someone can uh, acknowledge things themselves rather than being told uh, about their sin. If, if someone can come up with the ideas, the thoughts, and the words to say, Oh, <laughs> So when I yell at my kids, what I'm doing is, you know, da 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 da. I'm I'm allowing my desires to rule over me. And then it's so so much better where you can say, yes, that's that's what this passage is saying. Because then you know, and they're getting it. The spirit is working. The spirit is renewing their mind. And and you don't have to be the one to tell them that. Not, not you know, sometimes you do. But if if they can come out with it, that's always the best. So that means that it's great to ask questions to uh, help them reflect on things. So let's say you're talking about uh, James 4, 1, where it says, you know, what causes fights and quarrels? It's it's your desires, it's your pleasures. You're thinking through that with them. You can ask a question like, so in light of what this passage says, in light of what James 4 says here, what, what is going on when 
your, your kids are disobeying, they're not doing what you're telling them to do, and what rises up within you is, is anger and, and clamor, yelling. What's going on there? And then let them kind of reflect, oh, this is what I see is going on in my own heart. Uh, so helping them to, to think about their own um, application of the truth uh, and so when they can come to that place of recognizing their sin themselves, because of the work of the Spirit in them, uh, that's, that's when you know there's a real change of thinking. Um, and so encouraging them to, to uh, reflect on things. Uh, and again, our temptation is to tell them what we think they need to be seeing. Uh, but I would encourage you to ask questions that would be aimed at seeing, are they getting up? Are they able to see have scriptures relating to their situation. Just another uh, aspect of a helpful conversation is uh, when, when the person you're speaking to has spoken for a bit, uh, it's good to uh, show good listening skills by re- summarizing and reflecting back what you've heard. Uh, you know, what I'm hearing you say is, da-da-da-da, am, am I hearing you right? Uh, That's a really helpful way to to show that you're listening, you're attentive, you're wanting to understand them, you're not just thinking about your response to what they're saying, but you're really having effective communication. Uh, And then, uh, I already mentioned application, but I I would just emphasize, when you think about application of biblical truth in a conversation, to get as concrete as possible, as specific and concrete as possible. Don't be content with you or them saying, so really what you're telling me is I just need to be a better husband. Uh, I need to love my wife more. You know, yeah, yeah, go, go do that. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's true. But um, again, it, uh, that doesn't really help you. That doesn't really get to the details of life. So it's better to say, all right, yes, you're right. You need to love your wife better this week. What, What is something that you can do differently than what you normally do that would demonstrate love to your wife. Or in a moment where you're tempted to get upset at your kids, what is a different way that you could respond in that very moment? What, what, what things can you be telling yourself in your mind as you're starting to feel that rise of, of tension in your soul? Uh, and then how can you verbally respond differently to your kids? What, what would it sound like? What words can you use uh, in that situation? Um, you know, when you're at work and that coworker comes and, you know, they're doing whatever that coworker does, uh, what's something you can do in response? What, what, what's a word you can use in response? What's a way you can proactively show kindness? You know, just get very, very specific and concrete. Uh, almost, almost planning ahead for that situation and, uh, and putting detailed plans in the mind so that they're ready and prepared to, to do that with God's help. You know, it's been said, I think, I think this was said in the uh, last curriculum for the last class, um, we don't sin in general. We sin in specific ways, right? There's a particular attitude that we have. There are particular words that we say. There's particular actions that we do. Uh, thoughts that run in our minds. And so if change is going to happen, it, it can't happen in general. It has to happen in specifics. And so talking through the specifics uh, is, is, is vital. 
All right, last, last couple thoughts here. I just want to really encourage you, and this, I think, is one of the hardest things, at least it has been for me, is to, to make sure that you get to the heart. Because our, we see the, the actions, we hear the words, uh, that's, that's what's so uh, present right in front of us, so obvious. Uh, we can jump too quickly to changing you know, those outward things. And we really need to press into the heart. And when we say press into the heart, we're talking about thoughts, desires, values, goals, uh, motivations. So you really want to make sure that you're having conversations that address the heart and, uh, uh, and that they're thinking uh, at that level, both on the confession side as well as on the change side. Uh, and then the last thing that I'll mention for today is... Um, Recognize suffering without excusing sin. We often use examples, and I've done it today. Uh, you know, you're talking to somebody who's suffering, no fault of their own. They're just, they're, you know, they're, something's happened to them that's very painful. Or you're talking to somebody who's battling sin. Well, do you, do you know that like, that's almost never the case, that one person is 100% suffering or 100% battling sin? There's usually a mixture <laughs> of sin and suffering in a person's life. Maybe the, what initiated their suffering was not their own fault. You know, stock market crash, they lost some money, they lost their job, some natural disaster happened, they, they, their house um, you know, had some major problem that they can't afford to fix. It wasn't their fault, but now they're responding in, in a sinful way. Or they do have this battle with sin, they have sinned in certain ways, and that's led to suffering. There's consequences that have come to them because of that sin. And so there's, there's a deep suffering as a result of that. So sometimes it can be difficult to be like, is this person a sufferer or are they a sinner? How am I supposed to approach this person? Well, yes, they are a sinner and they are a sufferer. And it's not our job to figure out how to weigh that, what's the balance of that, as much as it is to minister to them in each of those ways, into those categories. Uh, we, we, you know, just in understanding the situation, you do want to understand the catalyst to where they are now, so what has led to this. Uh, and, and so we want to address suffering where there's suffering. We want to address sin where there's sin. And, uh, and, and I think it's easier to address sin when there's been more suffering uh, when it's something that's come upon them and they, the, the, the sin has been a response, I think that's generally easier for us to do because we have compassion for their suffering. What's harder for us is to address suffering when it's been brought on by sin that they've committed. Because part of us wants to say, well, you deserve it. <laughs> uh, it's good that you're suffering because that tells you that you know, your sin is serious. And so we need to be very careful uh, to not have that attitude, but rather have compassion and have grace and mercy uh, for their suffering. And so we want to we recognize, we want to acknowledge suffering without excusing the sin, without saying, uh, well, it's okay that, that you've sinned in that way because really you're a sufferer and whatnot. No, we, we acknowledge the reality of both and we treat both uh, in their own way. Okay, well, those are all just a variety of maybe uh, scattered principles of thinking through the, the way that we can approach conversations when 
we have an opportunity to then speak, to uh, minister the truth and love uh, to those that the Lord puts in our path. Um, I would encourage you, uh, I don't know, you know some of you have taken notes today, uh, maybe you might want to listen to the recording and just get the main ideas and just think through a conversation that uh, you'll be having this week, uh, interactions that you'll be having, and how can I incorporate one of those, one of these things uh, in, into your approach to a conversation like that. Uh, if you're a parent, uh, it's easy to have lots of conversations that are aimed toward change, <laughs> so you can think about that. Uh, how, how can you grow in that area? Um, but then in your relationships with others as well. All right? All right, any final questions or comments before I close? Yeah. Yeah, so if someone is, is wanting to go down a path that that you know is wrong, I mean, uh, I think there's an opportunity to graciously but directly warn them, uh, to warn them of the uh, of what God says, remind them of what God says, warn them of the consequences, uh, warn them about even their own blindness. Uh, um, you know, again, that can be a, a conversation of of why is it that you're wanting to do this when you know it's not right? Because with that example, uh, it's fairly normal that a believer who wants to marry an unbeliever knows that they shouldn't do that. They often acknowledge that. Sometimes somebody will be so self-deceived they won't, they won't consider that. But uh, I know there's a number of cases. Um, I'm thinking of one that I uh, was involved with a few years ago, or yeah, sometime recently. And I was... Uh, as I got to know the couple, one was definitely an unbeliever, and so I asked the the believers uh, on a separate occasion. So, <laughs> you know they're an unbeliever. Can you help me understand why you're wanting to go down that path? Uh, so again, that can be a conversation of what's going on in their heart that that they're wanting to move forward in a sinful way, uh, and then just again graciously but directly um, warn them about that. Uh, it's not our place to, to be the judge, you know, but um, Proverbs, what is it, 13, 15, this, uh, good sense wins favor, but the way of the treacherous is their ruin. And uh, though it doesn't come across well in the English, it's basically saying that when you live a life of sin, the way of the treacherous is their ruin. When you live a life of sin, you're, you're paving uh, deep um, ruts in the road of your life and it's going to be very difficult to get out uh, of that situation in the future. And so uh, there's, there's a warning there. I think the King James translates it, the way of the wicked is hard. And, and uh, just warning someone that, you know, you're going down a path of destruction. And I, I don't want to see that for you, right? But ultimately, the Holy Spirit has to convict them and turn them around. Yeah. Are you talking about people who are contemplating uh, someone who's contemplating marrying an unbeliever. If they're already married? Well, their, uh, either confession needs to take place if it's already happened, that uh, they just need to acknowledge that that was a sinful uh, thing to do. Uh, but at that point, they're married, so that now they, they have instructions from the Lord, primarily First Peter 3, on how they are to live with an unbelieving spouse and represent Christ well. You know, part of that is even confessing to their spouse. You know, I should not have married you. 
And um, that was, I sinned against the Lord. And, and I put you above God in my life. And that was wrong. Because uh, no doubt there will be temptations in the future to do that uh, in other ways. And so part of living rightly before the Lord uh, with an unbelieving spouse is to help them understand that your primary loyalty is the Lord, not the spouse. So, Okay, uh, let me pray.